and welcome to the fifth episode of the 10 After 7 podcast with your host, Michael Cody Stevenson. It's March 14th, 2018. We're about 24 hours from the NCAA tournament taking over the sports world, and let's get a few things out of the way. I'm a big bracket guy. I'm a big one bracket guy. Let's make that clear, one bracket. I know there's some of you that go out every year and fill out four or five brackets Enter a bunch of different pools, one at your work, one with your family. And you want to be that person that says, oh, I had Florida Gulf Coast in the Sweet 16. No, you didn't. You had Florida Gulf Coast in the Sweet 16 in one of the five brackets you filled out. How can you feel good about yourself when you do that? I don't get it. Be a one-bracket person. And if you're not a one-bracket person, I never want to meet you. And I actually did fill out my bracket in a different way this year because no matter how much college basketball you watch, and I do watch a lot. It's a crapshoot. So this year, I did a little something special. Baseball's involved. Might only interest me. But I did it. And at the end of the podcast, I'll reveal my final four to the three of you that give a shit. But we're going to still talk about baseball here. Over the weekend, we had some free agents sign. That's been the big talk of the offseason. How cold... The market has been for these high-end, big-name free agents. And the one you got to feel terrible for is Mike Moustakis. And this is what's wrong with the system. In baseball, these guys don't hit free agency until six or seven years into their career, past their prime, usually 30 years old. So Mike Moustakis, at the beginning of the offseason, turns down the qualifying offer for one year, $17.5 million in the Royals. Won a World Series with them. They're going in a different direction, rebuilding. Mike Moustakis says, I'm going to take my talents elsewhere. I'm coming off a career year, 38 home runs, Kansas City Royal record. There's going to be a market for me. Well, he waits months. And just last week, the first week of March, He has to settle for a one-year, $5 million deal from who else? The same Kansas City Royals. Put yourself in his shoes. He's going back into that clubhouse. After he had already packed his bags, the front office and them shook hands. They knew Hosmer and him were gone. It was an end of an era. And he has to go back for $5 million when he easily could have made 17 and a half if he just accepted that qualifying offer, but no one knew what the market was going to be. And then it comes out from reporters on Twitter that no other team offered him any deal. At first, I said, uh, do I really believe that? I kind of do. I don't think he held out for this long without some other deal on the table. That leads me to believe he, didn't, he really didn't have another deal on the table. Or it could have been a team from, he, from a team he didn't like. There were rumors that the Angels offered him a three-year deal. He's a California guy. Why wouldn't he accept that? So there's a lot of stuff floating out. But the fact that he has to go back to that team, the Kansas City Royals, for one year, a $5 million deal... That's how wrong this market is being read. 
that he had to turn down that qualifying offer and go back to the same team. That's the dude I feel bad for. Lance Lynn signs with the Twins one year, $12 million. Eh. He was maybe the third, fourth best pitcher on the market. And the big signing. We were waiting for this ball to drop. We possibly thought it was going to drop before you, Darvish. And that's Jake Arrieta. Signs a three-year deal worth up to $75 million with the Philadelphia Phillies. And I'm fired up about this one. I wrote about it. I had to. Because it means more about next year's free agent class. The Phillies are a huge play to land a guy like Bryce Harper. And there's already talk about them possibly landing a Manny Machado or Josh Donaldson. Can the Phillies be back? That's one thing I never wanted to say, ever. I hated the Phillies more than any baseball team on the planet. Because they were the team that took down the Dodgers in 2008 and 2009. When Manny Ramirez was the savior for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And I swear to this day, Dodgers win that series in 08 against the Phillies. They get past the Rays and win their World Series for the first time since 1988. Revisionist history, yes I know. But back to the Phillies. Arietta. Just like the Hosmer signing in San Diego. That's a statement signing. That's a culture signing. These guys are all in. And they got a boatload of money to throw at Bryce Harper. And in my article, I detail. If you don't think Bryce Harper would go to a division rival, you're crazy. This guy does not care if he's hated. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated at age 16. When he came into the big leagues, he knew a lot of players didn't like him. He had that brash attitude. Kind of a prick in a lot of people's eyes. Cole Hamels threw at him the first time they faced each other. And Bryce Harper came around and stole home on his ass. Like he was a vet playing 20 years in the big leagues. This guy doesn't give a shit. He's already talked about possibly being a Yankee. He said that while growing up, he'd love to be in the pinstripes. And I love the rumors about him to the Cubs playing with his buddy Chris Bryant, who grew up in Las Vegas. And I, I, I have to admit, I absolutely love that people even know the name of his dog, which is Wrigley. And that's the key. That right there is why he's going to go to the Cubs. Because his dog's name's Wrigley. Why the hell not? Phenomenal dog name, by the way, I must say. But the Phillies, they just put everyone on notice. Aaron Nola, Jake Arrieta, solid one-two punch. Earlier in the offseason, they signed Carlos Santana. Solidify the middle of their order. They got Reese Hoskins. Crushed it at the end of last season of 50 games. Herrera. Michael Franco, who could have a bounce back year. I'm going to dive deep into the over-unders in the NL East later in this podcast. But let's get to our Dodgers, our beloved Dodgers. What's going on? Clayton Kershaw threw a couple days ago. He's thrown nine and two-thirds in this spring. Not one run's been allowed. You're not going to take much from it, only because Clayton Kershaw says he doesn't take much from it. He did strike out seven Milwaukee Brewers 
and his three and two innings, two and two third innings of work on Monday. And he did have his swing and miss stuff. That was the key. Over the weekend, this is what needs to be talked about in Dodger spring training. Walker Bueller is on an innings limit this year. 130 to 140. Maybe they push it 150. But they're trying to extend him to be a starter. Tom Kohler went down. The only major league contract the Dodgers gave out this offseason was to this guy, Tom Kohler. They wanted him to be the setup man. He's injured. He's on the shelf. Mueller has the stuff to be an absolute filthy setup man, to be that bridge to Kenley Jansen. A couple years ago, we talked about Julio Urias possibly doing the same thing. When he was coming up, to put him on that innings limit, have him come out of the bullpen. Talks of K-Rod from the 0-2 Angels. Francisco Rodriguez came up. Dodgers did the same thing with Fernando Venezuela when he came up in 81. Before he came up in 81, I should say. Bueller in his Cactus League outing over the weekend. Seven batters faced. Five strikeouts. Now, I know it's spring training, but tell me a guy with that strikeout stuff can't come out of the bullpen and be a huge play for the Dodgers in the postseason. Now, it's spring. We need things to talk about. But he got called up last year, and he's, he's almost hitting 100 on the gun. Nasty breaking ball. I don't know why, since the beginning of spring, the talk has been to extend this guy to be a starter. I believe the Dodgers are going to do the same thing they did last season. They have their five. Maeda, Maeda Rue at the back end with Kershaw, Hill, and Wood, the top three in the rotation. They know injuries will happen. Stripling will have to step in. Brock Stewart. And I believe at the trade deadline, They'll make a play for a Chris Archer or possibly the other top arm on the market at that time. One can only hope that's Jake DeGrom when the Mets season's going down the drain. But they've been linked to Archer for years. And if he could get his command right, I think the Dodgers make the play for him. They have a deep system. And if that's the case... And then they have their starter in the postseason to go along with the Wood, Hill, Kershaw. And the setup man could be Bueller if they play his innings right. I know it's a huge stage for the guy. But if they build, 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 I think, he, I think this year, if you're trying to build him and stretch him out to be a starter, that's got to be down the road. I think if he's going to make an impact this season, it's going to be out of the bullpen. He's not going to crack that rotation in a game three of the NLCS or NLDS, whatever it is. You're going to use him out of the bullpen. And this is spring training. We know that. The Dodgers didn't find their setup man, Brandon Morrow, until late last season. I remember when he first came on the scene, I was at Angel Stadium and 
the bench is cleared when he apparently threw at Yunel Escobar. Sorry, I have a weird memory. I'll go off on tangents like that when I remember Dodger moments. And I love nothing more than a bench-clearing brawl. Nothing happened, but that's when he came on the scene, June or July. You're going to see a lot of different setup men for the Dodgers. It could be Baez. I know. I mean, I heard he's even getting booed at Cactus League and Camelback Ranch. Get out of here. People that boo Dodger players, it's pathetic. should never boo a player unless you know he's dogging it for 100%. You know for 100% he's dogging it out there. And Pedro Baez is not purposely going out there and blowing games for the Los Angeles Dodgers. So the bullpen up in the air right now. We don't know who the setup man is. All we know is that Kenley Jansen, who's yet to actually pitch in a Cactus League game. He was scheduled to pitch last Friday. Had a hamstring issue. But he did play and pitch one inning in a B game. In that same B game, Corey Seager made his first appearance on the field at shortstop. They're taking it slowly with him, trying to get his elbow to be fully healthy before spring training. I'm not too worried about it. It, It's something Dodger fans need to be aware of because he did miss the NLCS last year. And that's a concern. That was because of his back, but he has had a little nagging injuries here and there. But every year coming into spring, this guy has to get a little extra time to get ready, or they take it slowly with them. And I believe on opening day, he will be the shortstop. But you see guys like Chris Taylor and Kike Hernandez getting time there in games in case this season something does happen with Corey Seager. But he will be in that lineup on opening day. So the bullpen, all we know right now is Jansen, Scott Alexander, who they got in a trade with the Kansas City Royals and White Sox. Also, need to be noted, another guy in that trade is named Jake Peter. He was crushing for the Dodgers the first two weeks through the spring training. And he's kind of a guy like Chris Taylor. When the Dodgers made the trade for Chris Taylor, we didn't know anything about him. And Jake Peter could have been a throw-in. But watch out. If any injuries happen to a utility infielder, Jake Peter's probably going to get that first call from Oklahoma City. Just to note. So you got Kenley Jansen, Scott Alexander, Tony Singrani, Ross Stripling will probably be in the bullpen. And then you guys, you got guys like Libertor. Well, I think you'll see a lot of them. JT Chargois. I don't know how to pronounce that. That's terrible. I know they call him Shaggy. And then you got Baez Fields, Wilmer Fontanini, Garcia, Garcia battling for the other spots in the pen. And I'm sure all of them are going to get opportunities in that eighth inning to possibly be the Dodgers setup man. But at the end of the day, if we're going based off stuff, I know it's only one outing, but you saw him in September. Walker Bueller is filth. And that's a guy to keep in mind, keep in your mind as the Dodgers scrapped in that plan to be a starter and throwing him out there late in the season when he hasn't reached his innings limit yet. Play it right. Have this guy as the setup man, just like K-Rod was for the O2 Angels. We know how filthy he was. Now, I want to get into the NL East because I talked about the Jake Arrieta signing. Oh, and the left field, uh, left field starting job, basically the same as last time we talked. Matt Kemp, 
going to probably platoon with Andrew Tolles, who's hitting way better than Jock Peterson still at the moment. So let's get into the NL East. Over-unders. The Nationals. Clear front runner. Scherzer, Strasburg, one-two punch. Scherzer coming off of Cy Young. His last spring outing struck out nine, for whatever that means. They even have a deep bullpen, Doolittle, Kinsler, Kinsler, Madsen, Sean Kelly. Their lineup with a healthy Adam Eaton gets even deeper. Him and Trey Turner at the top of the lineup. You're not going to find two faster dudes at the top of any lineup in the major leagues. And then Harper, Rendon, Murphy. I think Zimmerman will cool off. He won't have the year he did last year. That was absurd. They should win the division. They should have maybe a better record than the Los Angeles Dodgers at the end of the season. They're over-under set at 92.5. I'm going over. They won 97 last year and won the division. That's a clear over. Them and the Cubs will be still the Dodgers threat. Let's see if they actually win a playoff series for the first time in their lives, though. I think it gets interesting with the Mets and Phillies. Those two teams could really have a say in the NL wildcard game. Either or. The Mets are definitely older. They went out and got Todd Frazier, Jay Bruce to throw in that middle of the order with Cespedes. Cespedes only 70, 17 home runs in 81 games last year. You're going to need a lot more than that. If the Mets are going to compete for a wild card position, a wild card spot, you got to have Cespedes putting 35-40 on the board for you and over 100 ribbies. And Noah Syndergaard. Thor. He's looked fantastic in spring training. There was a tweet out there in his first spring appearance where it had his miles per hour for each pitch. And I think it was 98, 99, 100, 99, 98, 101, 100, 102. I mean, it was absurd. And he struck out seven nationals in a row a couple starts ago. He's looking like a candidate for the Cy Young Award right up there with Clayton Kershaw and Max Scherzer. And you only got 30 innings pitched out of him last year. The Mets have talent, but stay healthy. A healthy Syndergaard and a healthy Jacob DeGrom? That's a one-two punch that can compete. We saw him compete. We saw DeGrom torch the Dodgers in a playoff series just a few years ago when the Mets went on to play in the World Series. They're not too far removed from that. I think if, 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 you, if you get your home runs out of those boppers in the middle of the order and you get those guys to stay healthy, who knows about the Steven Matz and Matt Harvey? I don't know at this point. Matt Harvey's playing for a contract. Maybe he finally returns to half of what he was. They're over-under set at 81 games. I'm going over. That's a huge improvement from last year when they were 70 and 92. And I think they're playing either the Diamondbacks or Rockies in that NL wildcard game. And that's not if the Philadelphia Phillies have something to say about it. I already talked about Arietta and Nola at the top. He could teach Nola a thing or two. Nola came off one of his best years last year. He was the top prospect coming up. He was named their opening day starter. And their lineup, 
Carlos Santana in the middle. The dude played in the World Series with the Indians. It goes back to culture again. These guys have won before. They can pass things on to the young ones. Reese Hoskins. I know firsthand. Had him on my fantasy team. Guy hit 18 home runs and knocked in 48 RBIs in 50 games last year. Every other night, it seemed like he was hitting the dung. Michael Franco, he took the league by storm a few years ago. If he could return, that's three guys right there. That's, that's a pretty good lineup. The team only won 66 games last year. This team's been absolutely horrid for the last couple of years, and they're right up there and part of the Houston Astros and Cubs tanking plan. And I'll be honest. It worked for them, and it might work a third time for this Phillies team. Except they're going to do it a little bit different and throw some money at free agents next year. They're over-under set at 75 and a half. They won 66 games last year. It's 10-game improvement, and I'm going over on them even. So over on the Nats, over on the Mets, over on the Phillies. And that's the order I think this division's going to play out. Then you have the Atlanta Braves. This is an interesting and fun division. The Atlanta Braves, they're prospect heavy. Very prospect heavy. We know about Dansby Swanson. The trade they did with the Diamondbacks, Shelby Miller. That hasn't worked out, has it? And they have him and Ozzie Albies up the middle. Two guys right up the middle that are really going to be the centerpiece of this team, along with a guy named Ronald Acuna, Acuna, who's the top prospect in all of baseball. And just by looking at him, he's going to be an absolute star. He's hitting moonshots right now in the Grapefruit League. And you have that like Marcakis, Freddie Freeman, who doesn't get enough credit, another guy who rakes, constantly rakes. You won't see him in any headline. He's an Orange County guy. California showing up once again. We got the best athletes in the world, no doubt about it. Their pitching staff, Julio Tehran, he's up and down. You don't know what you're really going to get. This was the trade. We traded Kashmir and McCarthy to him. Good luck with that. They didn't do too much, but the Braves didn't even have prospects coming up with, on their staff. They went 72-90 and 90 last year. Their over-unders at 74.5. I'm going to go under. But I do think they're, they're trending upward. 100% trending upward. And if you want to see some of the best prospects in all of baseball, tune into the NL East this year. And last but not least, the Miami Marlins. The Derek Jeter-owned Miami Marlins. And actually, I thought their lineup was going to be a lot worse when I looked up their projected 2018 lineup. They got Cameron Maben. You heard of him. Martin Prado. Starling Castro. Poor guy. You go from the Yankees to the Marlins. That's, that's just mean. And Derek Jeter is the one who apparently, you know, came in and cleaned house. If I'm Starling Castro, I'm not looking Derek Jeter in the eye without giving him a strong F you right to his face. Every single day I'd go in and just say F you, or at least under my breath. Romuto, they say they're going to trade him. 
he's been great as a catcher for them the last couple of years. Very consistent. Pitching staff. Urena's been named their opening day starter. Dan Straley. I don't even know if you've heard of these guys. Brad Ziegler's their closer. So they have debts. But their over-under is at 64 and a half. That's harsh. By the way, all these over-unders from bovada.lv.com. Just throw that out there. And I think it's absolutely absurd what Derek Jeter did. Not that baseball in South Florida was, you know, relevant in the first place. Although they do have two World Series since I've been born. I'm going to go under. Just because who the hell knows where the hell they're going to get their wins. Because they're in a tough division and they got to play those dudes a lot. So I'm going with under on 64 and a half. Yeah, that's brutal. They're going to finish last in the NL East. And that's what I have for the NL East over-unders this year. Nationals finished first, met second, playing the wild card game against either the Rockies, Diamondbacks. I believe it's the Diamondbacks. Third, you got the Phillies. They'll be right in that hunt for that wild card. I believe that. And you got Braves, Marlins to finish it out. Now, I brought up how I did my NCAA tournament bracket differently this year. I'm usually a guy that's buried with every statistic I can find about the matchups. I don't actually fill out my bracket with my heart because if I did, I'd pick Duke every year. In the two years they have won in recent history, I actually didn't pick them. So I think it's worked out for me. But this year, I thought it'd be interesting just to go by what these colleges' baseball records currently are. That's how I filled out my bracket. Found out some interesting things. Found out that Buffalo doesn't have a baseball team. They just canceled it. 2017 was their last year. Found out there's a lot of crappy teams. And I found out the SEC really rules the world in baseball. My Final Four has Kentucky in it. Kentucky. Let's see here. Kentucky, Texas A&M, Texas Tech, Auburn. Who should I go for? The highest seed is Texas Tech. They're a three seed. They're taking on four seed Auburn. And then Kentucky's a five against Texas A&M a seven. You know who I'm going with? I put Texas A&M as my national champion in my bracket this year for one reason and one reason only. Clayton Kershaw said if he were to go to college, that's the college he would have went to. He would have been an Aggie, Texas A&M. So they're the team winning the national championship this year. Hopefully I'm lucky because the most random person every single year wins the bracket pull at work. So that's it for the fifth episode of 10 After 7. Thank you for listening. You can follow me at Twitter at 10 After 7 or on Instagram at 10 underscore after underscore 7. I'll be back on later this week to talk Dodger baseball and more MLB news. Go Dodgers.